Thank you for that uh, encouraging word, John. It's been about almost two months since I've been here on a Sunday. And um, depending on your view of me, that's either good news or bad news. But uh, either way, I'm here now. So, but um, we, uh, today, today in our sermon, um, actually we have this slide up here, so it's good. Um, we're going to be starting a new series in the book of Romans in September. And uh, that'll be in the beginning of September, and we'll be in that series for oh, probably at least a half a year. And so that is going to begin at the beginning of September. Uh, for the next three weeks or so, we're going to uh, be talking about different topics that we just feel that the Lord is um, leading us to in that lead up to that series on the book of Romans. Am I echoing right now, or is that just me? It's a little echoey. I don't know if there's something that can be done. Thanks. Um, and so today, it's not necessarily like a normal message where we might go through a specific passage of Scripture. Hello, hello, <laughs> echo. I actually kind of like that. I feel more authoritative there, um, godly voice. Um, but uh, I, I thought, you know, as I prayed about it and what we should address today, I thought the topic of serving in the church would be a good topic. Serving in the church. We have so many things that are happening. I couldn't be more excited about where our church is at right now. And I thought um, I'd give some reflections on serving in the church. And the angle I'm going to take today is perhaps not the normal angle that you uh, might immediately think of about why you should be involved in serving in the church. Um, but I think it will be very beneficial to you because um, at the end of this sermon, I think uh, there's going to be a few things that will happen. Number one, you're going to be greatly encouraged by what you hear in your own faith. And you're going to come to the end of the sermon saying, you know, that was just a good reminder to me why, um, how God can use me. The urgency that uh, I must have when I come to uh, serving in the church. Number one, I think you're going to be encouraged. Number two, I think you're going to be reminded that your involvement in the church, uh, God uses you to build the church up. And, um, and that is crucial because that's where changed lives happen. And number three, I think at the end of this time, you're going to come to a deeper understanding of who I am as a pastor. And uh, this third thing is actually pretty important, not because I'm like so far more important than any of you, but it's important because um, whenever you join a church, what is happening is you are not just deciding what God, you know, not, there's only one God, but you're deciding to worship God by doing that, yes. You are deciding to uh, participate in the life of the church. Yes, you're doing that. But actually, when you join a church, not every church looks like every other church. And part of you joining a specific church, you're here specifically at City Bible Church, is what you're really saying is, as part of the decision to join a specific church, I'm going to look at who the leadership of the church is. This is a leadership that um, has a faith that I feel I can emulate. This is a leadership I can respect. I, I understand what they care about. And uh, this is good and be good for me spiritually about me being at this particular church. And um, I think that's important that you get to know me a little bit because one of the things that... Um, I care about very deeply in the church. I mean, I bleed this stuff. I, this has been, and this has been true of me 
for the past 25 years that I've been a pastor, even before that, when I serve in lay ministry, one of the things that I absolutely bleed for is people serving in the church. And you're going to, by the end of this, you're going to understand why that is. Um, I, I, I talked to my wife and, um, and I, I, I have this one great, one of the great anxieties I have about this church, even though I'm very proud, very proud of this church and your involvement in the church. I couldn't, it's just a joy to pastor this church uh, because of all the servants that we have here and your involvement and see all the fruit and et cetera. That said, I carry around with me this constant anxiety as I think about City Bible Church. And it's the same kind of anxiety in some ways that Paul had when he said in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, uh, sorry, 2 Corinthians chapter 11. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, he said, in addition to all of these struggles that I had and, and persecutions, he said, in addition to all of that, I carry around with me daily, this is Paul saying, I carry around with me daily the anxiety I have for the churches. And so one of the anxieties I have as a, as a pastor of this church is that I never want someone to come up to me and say, you know what, pastor, here's the bad news. I'm out of here. I'm gone. Okay. Maybe I'm gone wherever. And, um, and the reason why pastor I'm out of here is because, um, you, Chris have not called me to a high enough place. You have not challenged me enough in the Christian faith. I did not have opportunities to get him. I wanted to, I was looking for that. And yet I was held back by this church. I was held back by you um, and your just lukewarm version of Christianity. I never would have wanted anyone to say that to me. And maybe you're looking at me going, oh my gosh, that's not your problem, right? But, um, but I think that uh, that's, that's how I, I feel about the church. And I care about the Lord. I care about you guys. And, and I think um, being involved is so important, right? And so, um, and so this is what we're going to talk about today. So let me pray for our time, and then we'll just go right into it. <coughs> Fathers, we come to you now as we open up your scriptures, as um, we reflect on our involvement in the church of Jesus Christ. May your Holy Spirit move in us to rekindle a sense of urgency. Uh, may our minds be renewed uh, that uh, we are the light of the world speaking truth into the darkness. And that is um, best done within the context of the body of Christ. And so, Lord, um, may at the end of our time together, City Bible Church be built up and encouraged, perhaps even corrected, Lord. And uh, may we be better off so we may serve and glorify you to a greater degree. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Okay, so I'm gonna, I have a few slides for you. And so this is the angle that we're going to take for this, uh, this afternoon. All right. If you've been around church for a while, you know that uh, there is an opportunity, an expectation that you should serve in the church. Now, that can look a lot of different ways. But you know that that's uh, part of what it means to be part of a church. We don't just come uh, on Christmas and Easter. We don't just come, and the intention of church is you sit in the, in the back and just stare at people's, you know, back of people's heads after an hour and a half and then just leave. Church is the family, there's relationships, and we serve together, and that's how the church gets built up. Now, follow me on this, you guys, because normally what you hear uh, from the pulpit 
is the reason why you should serve in the church is God. Now, that's true. And I'm going to tell you briefly, just in the next couple minutes, what you normally hear, and I agree with it, but I'm going to actually take it from a different angle. So normally what you hear is the reason why you should serve in the church, and I'm going to boil it down to these three reasons. Number one is that you are indebted to God. You are indebted to God. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, what you have said is, I have chosen to believe the truth. I've chosen to believe that Jesus ransomed me uh, away from God's wrath, away from the requirements of the law that I could not fulfill. And now through my faith in Jesus Christ, I have received forgiveness for my sins. I have received new eternal life through Christ. I have, received, I have become a child of God. I've been adopted into the family of God. Um, and Jesus lived the life I could not, and he died the death I could, uh, I could never uh, have accomplished on the cross. That's what you're saying. And so there is this sense when you're part of a church and you are asked to serve that you say, well, I should because I owe God. I'm indebted to God for his forgiveness and grace and new life he's given to me. I'm indebted to him. And that's totally valid. That's totally true. That's at the core of the gospel. Number two, another reason why uh, you should serve that what we normally think about is that not only are we indebted, but we are commanded to serve. You are commanded and I am commanded in scripture to serve the body of Christ. When you look throughout the New Testament, you see this phrase, one another, pray for one another, serve one another, love one another, bear one another's sinful burdens, etc., etc. That Greek uh, term, one that we translate one another, is, comes from the Greek word alalon. And alalon is all 95% of the times when you look in scripture, when it says one another, it is referring from one believer to another. And so there's all these commands in scripture that say you should serve one another. And so another reason why you should serve in the church is because we are simply commanded by God. God's word says it, and he is Lord overall. And if he commands, our proper response should be, we are unworthy servants. We are unworthy slaves. If you command it, you are Lord, you are creator. It is our duty. It is our privilege to serve you and to obey you. That is totally valid. It is true. Okay. A third reason why we normally think of to serve, that is Godward focus. It's not just we're indebted, we're commanded, but that you and I have determined in our minds that the church is the place where God chooses your friends, that the church is the place that offers the single most important best and really the only true spiritual transformation for human beings. Let me say that again. You have resolved in your mind that God's expression of the body of Christ for those who believe that you should invest in the church. You should serve in the church. You should be part of a church. Why? It's because you have come to the conclusion that, you know what? I, the two biggest problems that human beings have ever faced that nobody has been able to solve outside of Jesus are the problem of human evil, number one, and the problem of human death. 
That's the two biggest problems human beings have ever faced. No one has ever solved those two problems other than Jesus. So you should serve because you have come to the conclusion that the two biggest problems that we face, evil and death, are only solved in the gospel and only solved within the context of the relationships of the church. And that is why you should give your time to this. Yeah, you can volunteer at the PTA. Yeah, you can give some money online to some crowdfunding uh, you know, uh, thing that a friend is organizing to help pay some bills for someone who has cancer. Good things. Important things. But the most important thing that really changes people for eternity happens in the church. Okay? So I just summarized all that in a couple minutes. And I could literally say amen right now. And we could be done. Um, and normally, that's my, what you might hear. I agree with everything I just said. I'm just starting from the place that we're all normally starting from. I'm going to add one more angle, and that's going to be the rest of the sermon. Okay? In addition to the reasons why you should serve that are God-focused, we're going to take it from this angle. You. The question that we're going to address for the rest of the sermon is this. When you choose to serve, in addition to doing it for God-focused reasons, what happens to you? When you choose to serve in the church, what need does it fulfill in your own spirit when you serve in the church? What benefit is it of to you? How does it heal you? How does it bring you life? How does it change you to mature in Jesus Christ? When you serve in the church, like no other place in the entire world outside of the church, there are things that happen when you serve in the church that you will not find anywhere else on planet Earth, that your soul needs. And so that's the angle I want to take the rest of the sermon from. Okay? And what I'm going to do is I'm going to give three reasons. There's more, but I'm just going to three scriptures that remind us of what happens to our soul and how your soul has been designed by God through Christ Jesus. I'm going to talk about a reason of uh, what happens when you don't serve in the church and so forth. Okay, so here's three that I'm going to raise. Number one, when you serve in the church, what happens to you is it creates sanctifying fruit in your spirit. Number two, when you serve in the church, you start to move spiritually uh, to make spiritual impact, and you move at a spiritual speed. Your life moves at a speed that is different than if you don't serve, according to your gifting. And number three, when you serve in the church, uh, you you are graced by God with hope and joy and a sense of glory, and your soul needs all of this. Okay, and so let's take a brief look here at this. Uh, turn with me to the uh, to Galatians in the New Testament, in the book of Galatians, chapter five. <coughs> and we're actually going to pick this up. In verse 13, and then we're going to skip on down to verse 22 and 23. In Galatians chapter 5, verse 13, Paul says this, For you, for this is verse 13, for you, you being who? Christians. For you Christians at Galatia were called to freedom. And that freedom that he's talking about here is you have been set free from the bondage of sin by your belief in Christ. For you Galatians were called to freedom in Christ, brothers, so it emphasizes he's talking to believers, brothers, but he says, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. 
Let me stop there. So he's saying you've been freed by Christ or your belief in Christ. He's freed you from the satanic hold over your life. He's freed you from uh, the demands of the law. He's freed you from uh, your sinful, the penalty of your sinful nature. You're free, but don't use that freedom, he says in verse 13, simply to just sit there. Simply to say, well, I have my fire insurance card away from hell. And so I can just cruise the rest of my life because, um, you know, once chosen, always chosen. He says, don't use that for the flesh. But, verse 13, through love, serve one another. Christian, use your freedom to make a choice to serve other Christians. So that's the context okay, of what he's talking about. And one of the benefits that happens in your life and in my life spiritually when we serve other believers is the Holy Spirit's leading us, and he's creating the, what's called the fruit of the Spirit. Skip on down to verse 22 and 23. See, when you move with the Holy Spirit in your life and you start to serve other believers in the church, the fruit of the Spirit is created. In verse 23 and 24, it says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Now, keep your eyes on verse 22. How many of us want this list to mark our lives? How many of us would want our spiritual character to be one of love and joy? And Anyone need more self-control? Anyone need more patience? Now, follow me on this, you guys, because Christians make this mistake all the time when they talk about the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is not values. It's not virtues. Okay? That, that's what philosophy is for. That's what world religions are for. Every major world false religion will affirm, saying, yeah, you should be more loving, more joyful, more peaceful, more patient. These are not virtues and values primarily. What these are, what the fruit of the Spirit is, it's what the, Holy, the person of the Holy Spirit uniquely produces in you as you follow him. This is not some esoteric uh, a mental commitment to saying, I, this, I want to be a virtuous person by being more peaceful. Now, this is, uh, he's describing a spiritual dynamic that happens in our lives as we serve others and we follow the Holy Spirit. The fruit of the Holy Spirit is what is pro- the Spirit produces in your life. It comes out of you. But also, it is what nourishes your soul. It is not just what the Holy Spirit produces. That's fruit produced. But fruit is something that you can eat. And your soul, as the Holy Spirit is producing, is actually being nourished by that fruit. And so as he produces that, that fruit of love, joy, peace, patience, etc., you know what it's doing in your life? It's healing you. It's strengthening you spiritually. It's bringing you um, uh, goodness into your life. And so one of the reasons why you should serve and I should serve is because just like you have to eat a meal every day, unless you're fasting, right? We, pretty much most all of us that are not fasting in some way or another are eating at least one or two or maybe three meals, right? And you've got to kind of do that every day normally. 
It's the same thing spiritually. As your life should be continually producing the fruit of the Spirit, not by your will, but one of the ways to do that is as you serve and the Holy Spirit moves. It's like this, you guys. The difference between Christianity and, um, and pretty much every other worldview is that uh, you take possession of a person when you choose to believe. You are, Christianity is not about saying, I will choose to be a human being who's more loving, peaceful, patient, joyful, etc., what Christianity is about is when you choose to believe, Ephesians chapter 1 says, and uh, Jesus said in the upper room, that the Holy Spirit actually comes to take residence in your heart. Now, that's important because unlike Buddhism, unlike Islam, unlike the New Age, unlike secular humanism, it's, you're trying to do something to be a good person. Now, what Christianity is very different. It says when you choose to believe in Jesus, the Holy Spirit actually comes to take residence in your heart. Now, the reason why it's important for you is when he does that, unlike every other worldview, the Holy Spirit now is moving in you. Just like Jesus moved in his ministry, Galilee, Nazareth, you know, Capernaum, Jerusalem, Samaria. The Holy Spirit is going to move you in a direction, move you towards Jesus, move you towards other believers. Okay? When you choose not as a as an as a normal expression of your Christian faith to not serve, there's a conflict that happens in your spirit. See, as the Holy Spirit, who now is trying to move you towards Jesus, trying to move you towards the church, and you are resisting, saying, no, church isn't important, serving is important stuff, he's trying to move you. You're here, and the fruit of the Spirit cannot be produced in your life. And so I am not saying, are you serving every single week? I am simply making a general spiritual principle that when you serve and you love and you follow the Holy Spirit in the direction that he is moving you towards Christ and the church, the sanctifying fruit of the Holy Spirit is created in your life that is good for your soul, necessary, needed to sanctify it. Number two, a second thing that happens to you when you serve in the church is that you start to move at a spiritual speed that is different than other people. You start to have a spiritual impact that is different than if you don't serve. In 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10 and 11. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10 and 11. Peter talks about this. Now, we could spend a whole series on spiritual gifts. You, um, and we don't have time to, to look at all these different types of spiritual gifts. You can look at it later. 1 Corinthians 12, uh, Romans chapter 12, 1 Peter chapter uh, 4. These are passages that list spiritual gifts. But this is what Peter says here as an example. He says, verse 10, as each has received a gift, that's as every believer has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks the oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Now there's a lot in there. Okay? What are spiritual gifts? Spiritual gifts are something that every single believer has been given. Every, every believer has been given at least one spiritual gift. No believer has been given all the spiritual gifts. We're all somewhere in between. What is a spiritual gift? A spiritual gift is something that literally God downloads into your spirit at his sovereign discretion of what he wants to give you. 
that allows you to move at supernatural speed when you serve. It allows you to have supernatural impact when you serve. Um, the example I, I like to give is from the, the movie The Matrix, the original Matrix. Have you guys seen the original Matrix? Okay, because I don't, I no longer assume everyone has. This is the one that came out over 20 years ago. Morpheus, Neil, that whole thing. Uh, I, was, I was in this room like a year ago talking uh, with Jocelyn and someone else, and I, I made a mention of the Matrix, and I was, you know, I was talking about this, and Jocelyn was said, I've never seen the Matrix. I was like, what? What? You haven't seen the Matrix? I thought, Jocelyn, all this time I've been thinking we're on the same footing in terms of our understanding of how life goes, and I was wrong. You haven't seen... The Matrix is a movie. It wasn't made by a Christian, certainly not, but it, it should have been. It should have been, because it's Christian allegory. So I can't go into the whole movie, but basically it's a story, good versus evil. There's these good guys that rescue this other guy named Neo, and part of how they rescue him away from this like AI-controlled machine world is they rescue him, and they say, okay, we need you to defeat the Matrix that's controlled by the bad guys. Now, as part of this, we're going to train you. Part of your training is we're going to plug you into this machine, and when we do, we're going to download all of these martial arts programs, kung fu, jiu-jitsu, karate. And it takes about like 60 seconds in the movie, but all of a sudden, Neo, they plug him in, and he, he, they download all these martial arts abilities, and suddenly he wakes up and he goes, I know kung fu, I know karate. I know. In, in a metaphorical way, that's exactly what spiritual gifts are. When you become a Christian, the Holy Spirit downloads into your soul at least one spiritual gift. There's a whole list of them in different parts of Scripture. Some of you are gifted with the gift of encouragement. Some of them, you are gifted with the gift of mercy. Some of you are gifted with the gift of service. Do you know what your spiritual gifts are? You should. Because what happens is that when you serve according to your spiritual gifts, um, you start to move at a supernatural speed that's different than other people. Like, I look at someone like Norm. Norm has the gift of service. Norm has the gift of encouragement. And when I stand next to Norm, it's like I'm walking in slow motion, and he's like speeding ahead like the flash in front of me when he's encouraging and, and serving others. I think of people like, uh, like Kevin Hahn. That guy has the gift of mercy. All right? That guy just goes and goes, and it's really life-giving for him. Right? We're now, we're all called to be merciful, but there are some believers who are gifted in such a way to when they use their spiritual gifts, man, it's life-giving. Man, it's, it's exciting to them. Man, they could go all day long. What is your spiritual gift? Do you know it? Spiritual gifts are not talents. Like John, you know, uh, uh, Jocelyn's up here, John Monet, you know, you're playing their, their, their guitar or their keyboard. That's a talent. That's not a gift. Okay? You play sports. That's a talent. That's not a gift. Spiritual gift is sovereignly given to you by God. What is your spiritual gift? You know what? You should know this, you guys. Because if you do not discover what your spiritual gifts are, you will be serving, and that's a good thing, but you'll never be able to have the spiritual impact, and your life will not move at the spiritual speed in which God wants. Okay? Now, you show up here early to service, there might be trash on the ground. Okay? I might pick up the trash or clean the bathroom. I don't have the spiritual gift of trash picking up or cleaning the bathroom, okay? There are just things that you got to do because you got to do it, okay? And that's part of, you know, we're just servants. This has to do with what do you choose to do when you can? What's really life-giving as you serve? 
Some of you are gifted in teaching. Chris has the gift of teaching, okay? And we've started to see the fruit of that. He enjoys teaching. Like, he enjoys it. Some of you, that would terrify you, right? And that's fine. It's not doesn't mean it's better or worse, but you got to know. And so that's one thing that happens in your life. You move at an impact and a, with an impact and a speed that you normally would not have in your life. And the body of Christ benefits from that. Number three, a third benefit that happens when you serve in the church is that God graces you with hope and joy and a, and a godly sense of glory in your life. Turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. 1 Thessalonians 2. And when you're turning there, you're going to turn to verse 19 and verse 20. As you're turning there, remember, the church at Thessalonica, of which Paul is writing to, this was a church that Paul planted in the book of Acts. Uh, When you look at chapter 1, Paul was proud of the Thessalonian church. He says that, you Thessalonians, in chapter 1 of 1 Thessalonians, have become a model for all the churches in Macedonia and Acacia. So he's very proud of this church in 1 Thessalonians 1. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, he says, I was like a mother to you, nurturing you. I was like a father to you, disciplining you. And so he had a personal, relational connection. He was proud of this church. And as he writes to them, I want to draw your attention to two verses. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 19. And, um, and he says this, For what is our hope or joy? That's Paul. He's talking about himself. What is my, what, you could translate it, what is my hope or joy or crown of boasting before the Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you, Thessalonians? For you, verse 20, Thessalonians, are our glory and joy. Think about this for a second, you guys. If I was to ask you, and I would say, what do you think kept Paul motivated in ministry? What fueled him? What kept his passion hot for the things of the Lord? Why was Paul so moved? What, what would you say if I asked you that question? What, what, what sustained Paul through all the persecutions? Uh, what, what, what allowed him to, to leave his life of a, a, of a Pharisee and all the comforts and riches and prestige that, that was and then to be a lowly servant of God? Why? Well, you'd say what? Well, pastor, it's pretty straightforward. The reason why Paul was Paul was, number one, God sovereignly chose him. Uh, that's true. Number two, you'd say, well, Paul met Jesus face to face in Acts 9. That's true. You would say, number three, the reason why what kept Paul going is because he was actually transported directly into heaven. He he looked around and saw heaven. That's what he talks about in 2 Corinthians. And you'd be right. Um, And that's Paul. We're not. But there is something about Paul's ministry that kept him going that we can emulate, that we can copy, that we can replicate. And... um, And it's in verse 19 and verse 20. Paul looked around at the changed lives in the church. He looked around at the other believers that he had served at the church at Thessalonica and other places. And he said, you know what? I'm looking at your changed life. That brings me hope. That brings me joy. 
In fact, when I, when I see that you have come to know Christ and you're holding on to the faith, you are, you, you other believers, you, you that are the fruit of my ministry, uh, you are my crown of boasting before the Lord Jesus Christ. He's not saying in a sinful way. He's saying in a godly way. He was proud of these believers. And that brought him hope, joy, and a sense of like, I mean, you know, David was up here. He's like boasting. I got number one, the medal at the, you know, but and when you're saying it, it's great because David's a great racer, but you see it, he's so excited, right? What about boasting about the changed lives that God has used you to change? You know, that's a different, entirely different type of boasting. Um, you should have that, you guys. You, you should be able to look at your life and not just say, I got a good marriage. I got good kids. I live in a nice place. My career is fulfilling. I get to do what I want in general, you know, with, and have fun. That's nice. Those are graces of God in your life. But you know what? If you cannot look at your life, if, you, if you're looking at your life right now, and you're saying, wait a minute, if I'm honest, if I'm honest, if I was to ask myself, who right now, or in some kind of recent memory, is God, am I, who am I impacting for Christ in their life? That when I look at their life, I can say, God used me in a very specific way in your life to grow you in the ways of the Lord. Man, that brings me hope. That brings me joy. I'm so proud of that. Do you have that? If we were to ask some other people and say, hey, um, how many of you have had your lives changed by this person? God has used this person to change. How many of the other people would name your name? We should all have that. If you don't have that, what is actually happening is you are robbing yourself spiritually of one of the main ways that God brought hope, joy, and a source of boasting into Paul's life. You're robbing yourself of that experience. It's very hard to spiritually grow when you're not around other believers whose lives are growing. Okay? That's part of the reason why you've got to be part of a church, by the way. Okay? And so, um, really important, three things that, that happen that's, that's just really great, right? Um, let's, let's keep it on that slide, that's uh, perfect. Um, oh, it was there, perfect. And I'm going to give you one example of what happens when you don't. As a normal spiritual experience, serve in the church. Again, I'm not talking about, I didn't serve this week, I didn't serve last month, I'm not talking about that. What I'm talking about is... When you say it stops at simply me attending church, okay? And that's a dangerous spiritual position for you to be in long term. And the reason why, you go back to Galatians chapter 5, verse 13 and 15. We already read part of verse 13. But follow me on this is what the spiritual dynamic that happens in the human soul when you're just chilling at church for a long period of time as a way of normative spiritual experience. Verse 13, he says, okay, you're called to freedom, brothers. Don't use your freedom as an opportunity to serve the flesh because Paul knew, he knew that our natural position as Christians is laziness. He knew that our natural position as Christians is we just serve our own flesh. And so he said, don't do that, verse 13. But through love, serve one another. And then he says this in verse 14, for the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. That's an explanation of serving. Watch what he says in verse 15 of chapter 5. 
but, and this is where the negative comes in, but if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. He says in verse 15, the human soul can bite, it can devour, it can consume other believers. If you skip on down to verse 26, he says something very similar in the same kind of spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Now, I want you to understand the significance of what Paul's saying here. This is super important. What he's saying is that, and he's not talking about unbelievers. He is talking specifically about believers. He is saying, bottom line, you can be a believer. You can be a saved believer. And yet, the spiritual condition of your soul is not marked by the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, etc. Actually, what's happening is you might be saved, but the experience of you as a human being by other people, you become this factory, this production of someone who bites other people, devours them, consumes them, who, who is a person who is conceited, a person who is provoking other, and a person who is envying one another. See, Paul was very smart. The Holy Spirit moved in him, and, and what he was basically saying was that the default position of the human heart is that. And you need to be aware that um, this is really where, by the way, church division comes from. This is where church disunity comes from. This is, if you have ever been part of a church, where you're, or even, not even a whole church, maybe just a ministry in the church, and you're looking at that going, man, these people are conceited. There's division here. These people don't like each other. These people do not get along. This is like a destructive uh, spirit in this ministry, or even in the whole church. That's what's happening. It's indicative. Whenever you see, and I t- teach the elders this, I say, look, at a macro level, when we look at the church, we have to be very careful when we look at City Bible Church, because if we start to see larger themes of biting, devouring, conceited people who are envying one another, who are provoking one another, we will know as elders we're not moving with the Spirit anymore. Okay? To make it simple, think about your own life. You know, and you can give examples, and I can too, sometimes when boredom sets in in your own life, boredom sits in, on your, sets in in your dating life, boredom sets in in your marriage, boredom sets in with your children at home, normally long spans of where people have nothing to do, they're sitting there, they're not being productive, and this has just become a way of life. Does that ever end in a good place? No. What happens is what? We start to look at other people and start to nitpick at them. We start to, our, our own minds go into a negative place about ourselves, and nothing good comes from that. We bite, devour, consume, become conceited, envy others. We go online, I want to envy you because I got nothing better than you. Right? And so your only two options, and these are your only two options, just like me. If you want to be spiritually healthy, then you cannot not be involved in some way or another in, in a healthy context in serving in the church. It produces the sanctifying fruit of your spirit in your life. It moves you to spiritual impact where you feel good about that. You, it, you start to move at a supernatural speed and not be too slow for what the Lord wants for your life. And it brings hope and joy and a crown of boasting into your life. When you don't do that, your other option is you start to descend into what Paul is talking here in verse 15 and 26. Okay? 
And so that is the way your soul is designed. And it can be very frustrating as a parent, okay? When you're a parent and you have children, and you as a parent can see the bigger picture and you are telling your children, okay, child, we need where we're at. This is where we're at in terms of our behavior. This is where we're at in terms of what we care about, what we're doing with our lives. We're here. We need to go over here and move over here to this place. I'm the parent. You're the child. We're here. We need to go over here. And the child sometimes, you know, is obedient and says, oh, yeah, you're right. We need to go do this thing or be about this or change our ways. And the, you as a parent go, yes, it's awesome. It's great. And, and there's good things that come from it. When you as a parent turn to your child and say, hey, we need to go over here, but we're over here. And the child's like, no. Ah. The child's like, no, I'm going to go that way. You know how frustrating that is as a parent. And you know, you look at the child and go, this is not going to be good for you. <laughs> you know, not the least of which is my discipline in your life. But beyond that, if you keep on this path, it's not going to be good for your care. Same thing with spirit, with Christianity, right? So um, I'm going to, last point on this. I'm not, I don't have time to go into all this, so I'm just going to summarize. What should be happening in this church is this. The leaders equip you to do the work of the ministry. Ephesians 4. 2 Timothy 3, we say to you, we equip you with God's word. We give you opportunities to serve or we encourage you to serve. Step one. Step two, follow this. You have to respond to God. And you have to take initiative. And I'll tell you why that's important. What you don't want to see happen in any church that you're a part of Number one, what you don't want is the leadership is carrying the entire burden or most of the burden of what needs to be done in the church. It exhausts us. It's of no benefit to you. Hebrews chapter 13 is what it says. You don't want that. Because number two, if you wait to serve for me to ask you, Darren to ask you, Norm to ask you, Mike to ask you, you know, Chris to ask you, whatever it is, if you're always waiting there to be persuaded and, and, and you know, asked, um, you'll never get involved. And what happens is that we as leaders then have to micromanage the process. And you're like, get away from me. You're micromanaging me. Get no, the better way in church is for you to take initiative and say, you know what? The Lord has placed upon me. I need to get involved. I need to create a ministry. I need to serve. And so, pastor, can you equip me for this ministry? Pastor, can you help guide me? And we will like bend over backwards to say, what can we do to help you? Rather than us having to pull people along, right? So that's not the ideal. Um, all right, so I'm going to close with this. Hang with me. We're almost done. Um, let's go on to the next slide. These are a bunch of ministries that we get involved in in the church that we want to encourage you to think about. This is not exhaustive. Children's youth, small group worship, prayer, creative, mercy ministries, men's, women's ministries, food ministries, all these things. These are all opportunities, ongoing opportunities for you and I to get involved in, in here in the church. Okay, um, I'm going to close with this last thing. I'll run through it pretty quickly. Uh, let's go on to the next slide. I want you to pull out your phone right now. Everyone pull out your phone and pull up the church app. Pull up the church app. And when you go to the church app, I want you to go to that um, second section that says upcoming Outreach. Okay, it's the second picture on the church app. You see it? It says the City Bible logo. Upcoming outreach. Click it or touch it. And there's all this writing here. I'm not going to read it all. You can read it later. But we put it on the church app. 
in addition to all these other lists of ministries that I gave you to get involved in, I'm going to highlight briefly some things that are really um, exciting and I think will be really fruitful for the church that we have coming up in the next several months. As I go through this briefly, you want to be asking yourself, how can I get involved? Uh, because these, these are things to reach people and to share the truth of, of God with people. Okay, so in August, that's next Saturday and next Sunday. You have that on the app. There's the Nisei Week Festival in downtown Los Angeles. We're going to have a church booth from 11 to 4 on Saturday, from 11 to 4 on Sunday. We need some help with that. We're going to be praying for people, outreaching to people, letting them know our church is there. This is a great opportunity for you to join us. We need help setting it up and taking out the booths. It's going to be really interactive. It's going to be awesome. So uh, if uh, please please come and, and join us. Contact Cynthia if you can. Number, um, let's go on to the next slide. In September, we have on September 3rd, our next Little Tokyo City Tours. And that happens in downtown LA. It's going to be a night tour from 6.30 to 9 p.m. It's a walking food tasting tour, but we also um, talk about the ministries of our church. It's an outreach of our church. We want to encourage you to come to that. That's on September 3rd. Let's go to the next one. In October, we have these things coming up. Uh, we have not decided for sure about this, but this picture on the left, that looks like Garen took that picture. Am I correct? On the left, yes. Very nice, well-composed, magic hour. I appreciate the uh, composition. Um, so that is a picture from last year's Artesia International Street Fair, of which Paul and Alice went to. And these, our dear brother and sister here would not be here had we not been out there last October because they saw our booth. I'm like, we've been looking for you. And then they started to come to be part of our church. That is going to happen on October 1st. It's a Saturday. Okay, so we would love to be out there again. That We're going to decide on that uh, this Wednesday to be determined. Um, and and uh, wouldn't it be great, Paula and Alice, if you could come serve with us and say, hey, we joined this church last year. Come, you know, it's really cool. Um, on October 20th, we are going to have a forum called Homelessness and Faith. We have rent, and that's the top picture up here. We have rented out a, a hall called the Tateuchi Democracy Forum. This is in Little Tokyo. And on this day, which is literally like two or three weeks before the elections, um, people in Los Angeles have said the number one thing that they're looking for from the mayor of Los Angeles is how they deal with the issue of homelessness. And so we have rented out this space. We're going to have a panel discussion with three people Andy Bales, the CEO of the Union Rescue Mission, which is the largest Christian mission in the world. It's located in Skid Row. A guy named Mike McIntyre. He's the director of the Hope Center, uh, which is a uh, homeless uh, food uh, ministry uh, of an extension of a church called Reality LA. And number three, a woman named Jen Oy, and she's director of foster adoptions in all of Christ. They're going to come. We, we are going to live stream this event. And we want to encourage you to come because we're going to hold up not just this issue and faith, homelessness and faith, but also the ministries of our church. Um, two days after that, and that's the picture on the bottom, on October 22nd, we have this uh, a day that we are calling the Maker Skills Day. The Maker Skills Day at Hope Gardens 9 to 4. What this is, is we are going to go out to Hope Gardens. It's a facility ministering to women and children experiencing homelessness. We've all, we, it's all been arranged. We're going to do seminars there. We are, this is an open call to anyone. 
if you are willing to lead a seminar on either one, you can work, there's going to be like 35 teens there, where it's an hour and a half long seminar, and you are, the teens will make something in your seminar. You can teach them to make something, food, craft, floral, whatever it is, and you'll attach a little Bible study to it to make something, that's the maker part, or the skills part. You can teach them a skill. You have an hour and a half seminar to do. Okay, that's on October 26th. If you are interested, we would love to have you contact Cynthia. Um, last thing is in November, we're going to have an art show called Imago Avatar. This will be our augmented reality show in downtown LA. It's going to be November 5th. We have built out over Little Tokyo and the artist district, we're going to have built out an entire augmented reality world that is going to be one half Christian and one half for like cool cultural artifacts. You'll be able to walk it, use your phone to see all these augmented reality things that we have constructed. It's going to be awesome. And some of the kids have uh, submitted things, everyone from kids to older. It's going to be really cool. Um, yeah, and this just small thing is uh, our church retreat will be in, in February. Okay, so yeah, it'll be really cool. Cynthia's working on that. So to close, and thank you, uh, went a little bit long today, but it's, I think it's been worth it to close. It's my first time back. I'm going to look at this, right? To close is this, you guys. We're not volunteers here. We are servants. What should be normative is that we're all serving. We're not going to be the servant police over you guys, but we have a good thing going here. God wants to do more. And you giving your life to the Lord and to his people is... Um, the noblest thing you can do with your life. Okay? And so let's do that. Let's close in prayer. Um, Father, as we close together now, as we um, come before you, search our hearts, Lord, and we ask that you would just affirm in our hearts the good things that we are already involved in, the commendable things, that you would bring life to us for the ways that so many of us are already serving faithfully in the church. That you would remind us that what we do matters in the eternal cosmic scheme of, of your desire to draw all people to yourself. For those of us, Lord, that have not been involved, for whatever reason, I'm too busy, I got school, I got work, I got life, I got this, that. Um, may your conviction be upon us, Lord, that Maybe we need to change some of our ways. Maybe some of the ways that we are missing out are a reflection of what we have been um, sowing, sowing to the flesh, sowing to the world, and not sowing to the kingdom. And so, Lord, I pray you would move our hearts um, to be renewed in our commitment to what we know to be right and to find life in that. So we just pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I would stand together and we'll close in.